great to be back with you. Uh, it has been a long time, actually, as we think about it. Charlotte and I have done a few different things over the last number of months. Uh, one of them is to to host one of the services, one of the venues at our church. So we've been kind of tied up doing that, uh, but I didn't have to beg. They were very glad to let us come and, and slip away this week and be with you here at Faith Bible. It's a it's a joy to, to renew our friendships and relationships with so many of you. And uh, You're going through some changes, and God, uh, in his providence, will not only see you through it, I, I truly believe he brings us through these things triumphantly as we wait upon him. I, uh, I want to share with you a little different kind of message today. I usually stay in one passage of scripture and uh, we'll move around a little bit because I, I want to I speak with you today about encouragement. Uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't need encouragement. A life in America is so conflicted that it doesn't take long for us to see someone who is hurting deeply, whether it's over uh, political issues or medical issues or relational issues in the home. There's always something going on, and there's a need for encouragement in community, in business, in the church. I've taken some of those personality kind of tests that maybe you have as well, and uh, they tell me I'm an idealist. By the way, that's not a perfectionist, all right? There's a huge difference. Everybody that knows me knows I am not a perfectionist. Uh, And I'm probably not a realist either. So uh, someplace out there, there are people like me who look and say, well, this will work, and it doesn't always, but that's who I am. So I I always figure if if I just get enough structure in my life, uh, it'll all work out. But I remember that quote from Robert Burns. I think it was in something he wrote to a mouse or something at some point. But it's the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray, right? The very best of them. And uh, so it really doesn't matter how structured we are, our plans are still going to are still going to go astray at times. I I remember a number of years ago now, a a friend, a neighbor, actually loaned me a book to read. It was called Backfire. And it's the story, it's a business book, really, about the story of Hewlett-Packard. That that was a company that was started back in the 1930s, and you may remember that the the company HP. Uh, In its day, it was the largest personal computer company in the world. It was huge. They bought out Compaq. You know, that was one of their last um, uh, debacles, really, but one of their last ventures, really. They would spend billions of dollars in these kind of buyouts and things. They went through some tough times, however. They had an HP way. They referred it to as the HP way. And if there was a need, somebody would come along and they would address that and they'd build these silos, these little companies within the company. And, and they were very successful for a time. And then things got messy. And you can go back, if you read a book like that, you can find all kinds of reasons why they had their, their worst days ever. And I tried to find them on the stock market last night just to see, do they still exist? 
I think one of them, a piece of them still exists. If you got $14.95, you can buy a share uh, today in Hewlett-Packard. And I thought, well, sometimes that, that just reminds me of the church. The church is like that. I mean, we get very structured, or we may be, our structure may be very free-flowing. That's what HP's was. It was, it was, it was very free-flowing. But, but nonetheless, structured, the church structured in its leadership, in its ways, over years, develops patterns, and yet the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. It's a type it's at times like this when idealists even are ready to throw in the towel when we want to change teams. We don't want to just get a different seat on the bus, right? We want a different bus. We want to go someplace else. Get me off this bus. I believe that God intended his church in the local assembly as well, not just on the large scale to be a place that demonstrates the oneness of mind that Christ himself would give to us, the oneness of soul. His desire for us is that we would live out, and I heard a little of that this morning, we would live out the Great Commission with great compassion under the guidance of the Great Companion, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people like me just go, well, we just need to let go and let God. I don't know that I can find that verse in the Bible, first of all. But secondly, if I did, I probably would be misusing it. I I want God just to do whatever God wants to do, but sometimes it feels like we're on tumble dry. You know, we're just being tossed and turned. And we need some place to go to find encouragement. That ought to be the church. And so with that in mind, just look for a moment at this marvelous verse in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. You'll know it when we put it on the screen there. Let me read it to you. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's the NIV. I know most of you are using the ESV. I I chose the NIV there for a reason, because it translates the the Greek word encourage. Now, in other places, please, you'll note this in the ESV. it It says to exhort. It means to strengthen. It means to repair. It means to toughen up each other. It's kind of something like what a a coach might do. But this isn't written to coaches. It's written to the church. And just with your finger on the text, it's very clear. The writer tells us that we're to be doing this all the time, present active tense of the verb, all the time. We're doing it today, not tomorrow or not a week from now. We're to do it to each other, it says. I mean, this is just basic Bible study, isn't it? We're to do it to each other, that is, back and forth within the church. And then then the writer gives us the why, the, the why of all this. It's not so that people will feel good. Do you see that? It, it's not because 
we, we, we just want someone to fluff our feathers, so to speak. We don't want people to say, I'm okay, you're okay. No, it's because the world is soaking in sin's deceitfulness. The world has its systems and its ways, and if we give to those ourselves, we will become obstinate, stubborn, truth-denying, hard-nosed, conspiracy theorists, sour saints. That's my phrase for it. We will become, as Hollywood would put it, grumpy old men. Not my favorite movie, but I've learned from it. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. So the author wants us to know it's easy for the world to lead us astray down this path. And people in the church, we say good things to each other, I suppose. Um, Someone said to me just the other day, everything in moderation, you know, everything in Find that verse for me. I, I, I spent some time this morning just trying to find that verse in the Bible, and I found a lot of things that didn't say that, but they were about that subject. I mean, not everything is in moderation. In moderation is God's intention for us, or, or sometimes a godly person, a grandfatherly person, says, "You know, that's okay. That's all right. You know, it'll be okay." But the Bible says it's not okay, whatever it might be. Some people say in the church, if you don't do it this way, you're not really a Christian. If you don't do it that way, usually it's the opposite way, you're not really a Christian. And we somehow get caught up in the systems of the world. That's all I want you to remember. We get caught up in the deceptiveness of the world instead of putting our finger right on the text of God's word and say, what did you want for us, God? What did you say to us? That's what I need to know. And Paul warns us, Romans 16, 18, look at the verse, Romans 16, 18, it says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they, they deceive, there it is, the deceive, the hearts of the naive. All of that goes on. In light of all of that, in light of all of that, here is this what I call a pop-up verse. It's a verse within context. It's like the books, you know, the pop-up books. I mean, the, the book has a story, but every page or two, you open it, this, this thing pops up. Here, here's a pop-up verse, Hebrews 3.13, that was not written, I must tell you, to the preacher man. It wasn't written to the elders. It wasn't written to somebody with a particular spiritual gift. It was written to the body of Christ. It was written to the us of the church so that you and I, and I will take this from the word of God, in word and deed, in word and deed, both will encourage us, others around us, to walk in the faith, to keep the faith, to live the faith that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that. You know that. I want those kind of people. I need those kind of people in my life. There are those people in my life. I could name a handful of them besides my family, which is an encouragement to me. But besides that, there are a few others as well. And God wants every one of us to say, that ought to be more what I'm like as well. So with that in mind, as a law, it's not really an introduction. It's really setting the stage. Let me just tell you the story of an encourager. The rest of our time today, 
I want to talk with you about the power of encouragement. See, I'm, I'm convinced that if godly connecting takes place and is a reality in the church, then there must be more of this ministry of encouragement. There must be. So whether we have structures or don't have structures, very formed or kind of loosely formed, we need this person. Well, who is that? Well, the book of Acts tells us the story of a man by the name of Joseph. You, you don't probably know him by that name, however. It's not a bad name. I kind of like it myself. But it's, it's, uh, it's not what we know him by. We, we probably don't know this. He was Jewish, but that's not important to us at times. He was a Levite. People don't really think about that when they think about this man. They, they don't remember, perhaps, that he was uh, from a Mediterranean island called Cyprus. That's not really significant to us. But they remember a nickname. Can you believe that? He's only known for his nickname. In fact, every time I find him in the writings of Luke in the book of Acts and even Paul's writings, he's given this nickname. And the nickname, well, there are lots of people with this name. His name, we could call him Barney, but that wouldn't be really faithful to the text. What if we call him Barnabas? It just means he was a son of encouragement. That's that's what it means. Bar-nabas, son of of encouragement. And and we find him in a number of places in the book of Acts, chapter 9, chapter 11, or chapter 4, chapter 9, chapters 11 through 15. So there's a number of places in the book of Acts. And in and in Acts chapter 11 verse 24, we read this about him. We read this that he was good, filled with the spirit and filled with faith. Those are the phrases that stand out. In other words, he was a man of strong, he was good, strong moral quality. He was controlled by God's spirit. He was living by faith. Could we ask for more of ourselves? I don't think God does. That would just be who we are, people convicted to the moral truth of God's word, good people, expressed not just in some of the the, the things that people get trapped in, but just the way we treat one another. Filled with the Spirit, filled with faith. So here, here's a few things that I want us to remember about him. I, I want us to remember that when I read, and we'll see this, when I find the story of Barnabas in the book of Acts, I, I, I find him in the context of a mess. All right, I, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. Something that's going on that's not the way it's supposed to be. It, it, it's not what the plan was. It's not the best laid plans of mice and men. It's not going that way. And in each case, he comes and fills a little bit different role. And I want you to see that with me today. So the first mess is this. You're going to love this. You might never invite me back. The first mess was a material kind of mess. It was a financial one, if you would. Here's this new religious entity. We call it the embryonic church. I mean, this thing Boom, it just happened. I mean, it grew fast, rapidly. Uh, It was dynamic in its commitments. And we read in chapter 2 of the book of Acts the things that they were committed to. And it's a marvelous story of of the church. And you you know that story well in Acts 2. But it it was not a wealthy church is what I want you to remember. It was not a wealthy church. Chapter 2, chapter 3, we find these two uh, leaders of the church that are going up to the temple. And they meet a man there. And they're... What do they say? You know, well, let me see what I got in my billfold here today. Sir, let me help you out there. No, he says silver and gold. I mean, the stuff of substance, we're fresh out. We don't have any. 
But in the name of Jesus, why don't you just stand up and walk? <laughs> uh, no money, but nonetheless, they're doing good things. Yet, even in that context, in that context, there are people within the church who have wealth, apparently, because they're at least they're property owners. Uh, maybe it was property that was passed on to them from their parents and their parents before that. Maybe they were purchased properties. We don't know that. But chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we find that these people keep doing something that's really abnormal to us in the way we think, especially in our American culture. But they, they sold some of this property. It doesn't say they sold everything they had. It just says they sold some property. People did, and they brought the assets of that, and they gave it to the deacons, if you would, the leaders. This is before the deacons' uh, time. But the church then distributed the, this according to the needs of the people. Let me just make sure you don't miss this. This was not communism, and this was not socialism. Let me tell you when communism and socialism comes. It's when the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do. Then the government says, well, I guess we'll have to do it. So everything that you find in these early chapters of the book of Acts, when it came to the material needs within the body of Christ, it was all on a, if you would, volunteer basis. Or we could say it was on the basis of someone who was morally good, who was filled with the Spirit, who was filled with faith. And then we find, in the context of that, chapter 4 now, verse 37, that this man Joseph, Barnabas, sold and dropped the cash off, the silver and the gold, if you would, the leader's feet, no strings attached. No strings attached. I've had people offer money with lots of strings to the church. Uh, that is not the case here. Not at all. And so what I want you to remember is there's a financial situation that's going on in this son of encouragement. What he offers is financial encouragement. All right? Financial encouragement. Some people say, let go and let God. I say, let go and start giving. Uh, some people say, I don't like it when preachers talk about money. Uh, that's the truth. Some people think preachers don't like to talk about it. It's never bothered me. Uh Basically, I think because it's it's never personally benefited me. It wasn't for myself whenever I spoke. I love to raise money for missions um, and others, but preachers like me are not interested in raising it for themselves. I love the words of Calvin Miller, who passed away a few years ago now. Uh, he said that giving is a mark of the disciplined life. And in fact, in a book he wrote on the disciplined life, he spent some time talking about this very issue. He said, having is not a sin, clinging is a sin. It's a great statement. Uh, this week I, I received a, an email from a pastor in a very small fundamentalist church. He's... Uh, He's a wonderful friend that I came to know actually in Macedonia, and now he and his Albanian wife live in near Milwaukee. It's been tough. Every once in a while I get on the phone with him and we talk about the ministry and try to uh, encourage him along the way. He wrote to me this week and to another fellow pastor that he knows, 
and he listed uh, how many things? Eight, nine, ten things that he's encouraged by. Can I read just one of them? Um, see if I can find it again. There's so many of them. I had it right. Don't go away, folks. Stay with me. A church member who was furious. These are just people in the church. God is working in their life. A church member who was furious during a Sunday school lesson on church membership expressed through giving and who walked out of a guest preacher, just checking, uh, sermon on financial stewardship realized it was the Lord speaking to him. He repented, is trying to work on his love for, of money. He gave an offering for the first time in nearly a year. I don't know how all that happens, but I know that somehow somebody encouraged that man, even when he wasn't encouraged, to do the right thing. So I just want you to get that picture this morning. That there, are, And I never know where this is coming from. It's usually not from wealthy people. I remember reading a story about a little boy named Wyatt who, who, uh, who won a thousand dollars and then he gave it all away to a little girl who was dealing with leukemia to help buy medicine. Uh, I, I don't know how it happened. I, I, if, if you fill 50 boxes or 38, 35 boxes, that, that's going to encourage some child someplace to listen up to the gospel. I, I don't know how that works. It just works. It just works. Uh, Bob Paradise, uh, who's in heaven today, he got Charlotte and me through seminary. We were, my dad was pastoring this little church. The building would probably be about the size of this one. In fact, it might have been built at the same time. It looks very much like it. But uh, Bob Paradise owned a school bus company. Uh, he could buy whatever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. Uh, but he put me on his payroll while I was going to seminary because the church couldn't afford to pay this youth guy to come up and do ministry in that church. He didn't try to circumvent the system. The church knew what he was doing. But he was just making it possible without drawing attention to himself whatsoever. Nobody ever really knew about that except some of the leaders. It, it, it's just God at work. It's the ministry of encouragement. So you, you, can, you can run with that uh, down the road. I, I, I just believe that God wants us to remember that's one of the ways we encourage. The second one is this. second mess... Uh, the jumps out at us in Joseph uh, of Cyprus, uh, Barnabas's life as well. And it's when there's relational mess. When there's relational mess, uh, we, we're going to see something about how Barnabas entered that. In fact, there's a number of places you'll see it. It's repeated situations in Barnabas's life that demonstrate demonstrates the encouragement is this. It's making room for others in the midst of the former. It's making room for those 10 families, if you would, or 10 individuals in the context of something that's been going on for a long time here. How do we do that? And I remember when I was uh, one of the young men in it, coming out of seminary, I read a, a book about the berry bucket theory. Did you ever hear about the berry bucket theory? It's really a very complicated one. I'm just kidding. It's not. Uh, it's, it's when you bring new berries and put them in among the former berries. It's when you bring young berries and put them in among the old berries. There's sometimes some issues that take place. 
And Barnabas seemed to be a guy that knew how to bring the new berries in among the former berries in the early church, in the early church. So here's what, here's what encouragers do in the area of relationships. They make room for others. They open doors for others. And you know the story, right? Acts chapter 9, there's the first one. It's the converted Saul. I mean, Saul was, not as we would understand it, but he was a flaming fundamentalist. I mean, he was just impossible to get along with by anybody that disagreed with him. And he was smart and able and capable and he gets converted. Christ reaches, as you know, the story of Saul who became Paul in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And what does Barnabas do? Well, Barnabas goes to the church and he says, I want you to meet Paul or Saul. He is the real deal. Now, just remember this. Remember this. Not everybody is a real deal. Not everybody is what they're supposed to be. But when they are, it's up to those who are encouragers to help the rest of the body say, oh, there's room, there's room, welcome this person into our midst. So that's exactly what Barnabas does with Saul. And he does it in a marvelous, wonderful way. That's number one. Number two, he does it with uh, believers. You know that the early church went to the Gentiles, well, it was amongst the Jewish people, then it went to the Gentiles. Cornelius goes up, Acts 10 and 11. He goes up and he brings, the God, he, he brings into the fellowship Cornelius. Cornelius becomes a man of faith. We start to see the beginning of the gospel going to the Gentile world. But shortly thereafter, we find that the gospel is now going to Antioch. Antioch amongst the Gentiles there and it is Barnabas along with this man Saul who go and bring the gospel to these people and then and then they bring these people back into the fellowship of the Jerusalem church or the real church in other words it's not just the individual that Barnabas brings in but now he's he's encouraging others to believe that this man, uh, this church in Antioch is the real deal. And then there's one more. I'm doing this quickly, but you'll, if you know the story, you'll follow along. There's this young man by the name of John Mark. John Mark, we find Colossians chapter 4, is actually the cousin to Barnabas. So he's got a family connection here. But Barnabas and Saul are prophets. They are teachers. They are, uh, Saul is an evangelist. We know those things from all the, the texts, but we find that um, Barnabas sees this young guy named John Mark, who probably is the one who gives us the gospel of Mark, by the way, also. Uh, and we bump into him in Acts chapter 13, verse 5, and John Mark is encouraged, uh, Barnabas encourages uh, Saul to bring John Mark along with them on a missionary journey. Now, what do we know about John Mark? Well, just one thing I want you to remember. He is not an evangelist. He is not the prophet. He is not the Bible teacher. The only thing that we know, and it's even wrapped up in the name, the meaning of the name uh, that is his, Mark, he is a helper. He is a helper who the Bible tells us fits in and helps lift the load of the early church. Now, all of this, I just want you to get this picture. All of this happens because there's a man by the name of Barnabas, son of encouragement, who helps people find their place. He helps people find their place. 
And within the church of Christ, that's something that we need to be doing for one another. I, I, don't, I don't get to do it all the time, but, but fairly often. It's just helping people take their spiritual gifts that they have and finding their place. It's sometimes bringing somebody new into a system that is structured and set up pretty cleanly and making room for them. I used to have a, a statement that I would kind of advertise uh, back in the day. You might not agree with it, and it's not out of the Bible. But I would say to people, if a person who is a, is a God-fearing, love, a God-loving person came in through the doors of our church in two years' time, they ought to be able to become an elder in that church if everything, you know, their giftedness and everything else was in place. It's not like, oh, well, you know, they need to prove themselves. For how long? How long does a 18-year-old or a 16-year-old have to prove themselves? How long does a 25-year-old or a 60-year-old that comes new into the church have to prove themselves? We just have to think about that because God has called us to be people of encouragement. There's one more, just one more uh, picture that I want you to see in the life of Barnabas. And that that is in the context of what I, I, I'm not sure really what to call this. I've called it a positioning mess, a positioning mess. In other words, sometimes within the structure, now that the people are accepted, whether it's Saul coming into the church or a church within the church that's come along, the people of Antioch or John Mark. Now it's a, it's a matter of how we struggle with who, who really gets the recognition for certain things within the church. Barnabas, I want you to see this, Barnabas lived out his life according to his giftedness. Chapter 13, book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. That's what it says. And then the first name, see what the first name is, Barnabas. There is Barnabas. He's one of them. So he's either a prophet or a teacher, or maybe both, but he's, he's probably one of those two. Now, I, I'm, I'm confident of this, that he was a prophet. Why do I say that? Well, what's, what's the ESV translation for the word encouragement? Encourager? To exhort. What is prophecy, the gift of prophecy? A lot of it is exhorting the people of God to live a certain way. That does not mean pointing a bony finger at somebody. It doesn't mean screaming loud as you can. It just simply means that we're helping people see how God has created them, fulfill the ministry that God has called them to. So encouragers are people who help other people find their place, how they fit into the fellowship, not just to be a part of the fellowship. Not just to open doors for others, but to help them see where they belong within all of this. So here is, here is Barnabas, and uh, he is exercising his spiritual gifts of encouragement. Now, something happens in the life of Barnabas. If you read through the chapters that we've mentioned, you will find repeatedly that it will say Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then you come to chapter 13, and in the context of that, you'll find that Paul, uh, that Paul is called upon to preach a really powerful sermon, a really powerful sermon, verse 16, verse, chapter 13, verse 16, and, and he lays out the, the truth of what God is doing. And when that is done, it's interesting to me, and maybe it's not a point of uh, a biblical theology, but it's interesting to see that from then on we see that it is Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And then, of course, they go their separate ways for a while as well. Uh, here, th this is just to us who are older. 
this is just to us that are older, maybe spiritually older even. Um, are we making room for somebody to take our place? Say, I just need some help. I don't need somebody to take my place. I just need somebody to help. No, we need to think that way. Uh, people, including my beloved father-in-law, kind of gave me a hard time when I said, I don't need to be the pastor anymore. Well, you, you shouldn't be done. You can still preach, Joe. You're still good at what you're doing. I mean, he didn't really know, but that's what he would say to me. He kind of knew. Uh, but in my, in my heart, it wasn't like I couldn't still do this. It's just that other people could do this and needed to do this. And I needed to make room for that to happen. And there's a lot of steps to the Bubar story, that how we carried that out. It wasn't that I was so strategic about it, but I could just see that this is what God wanted us to do. It's not what everybody needs to do it all the time. But I do believe that part of the work of encouragement is making room for other people even to take the leadership in our ministries. Now, I, I've taken a long time to just tell you the story of Barnabas so you'll get the picture of what I think Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 is all about. That God has called us to this life of being encouragers, not just preachers, encouragers. To come alongside other people. Do you remember, you remember the story of Daniel? You know who was an encourager to Daniel? I think Darius was. I think he was. Did, did, did Daniel need Darius? No. God delivered Daniel anyway. How about this? I think Mary and Martha were encouragements to Jesus. Did, did Jesus really need Mary and Martha to do something for that, him? No. But he knew, they knew, that their lives were to be intertwined together and that this life that God gives to us is one where we will continuously, continuously encourage one another. If you're a part of a group within the church, you're there to encourage others. If you're a part of the leadership of the church, if you're a part of the pew of the church, your role is to encourage one another. God's called you to himself. Use your gifts. And a part of that is to touch other people's life with a ministry of encouragement. One of my favorite stories uh, that I'm not sure I exactly have right, because Charlotte and I remember it differently, but I, uh, I probably mean she's right, but, uh, but I remember my father-in-law telling this story of a time that he stood with a river guide on a bridge over the Delaware River. And as they were, he was, it was a river guide. They, was, they were standing there. This canoe went down the, the river, fast-moving, rapid-filled section of the river. And my father-in-law asked this man, what do you say to the guy in the front of your canoe when you're going through water like this? And this river guy didn't think at all. He just said, I say, keep paddling, Eddie, keep paddling. Um, in the nutshell, that's kind of what we need to be doing within the church. We need to be able to say in whatever form that is, in word and deed, materially, verbally, coming alongside, making room for someone else, uh, 
we're here to encourage one another for the glory of God and the sake of his church. So my closing question with you is this. Who are you encouraging? The truth is you might not even know. You might not even know. So let me put it this way. Where do you give? How do you invest? Uh, I'm not asking any, I'm not suggesting, excuse me, anybody go sell a piece of property. I'm just, you, you might just write a check out of your bank account. I mean, they didn't have that in those days, right? But who, is there some place? Is there somebody within the body of Christ that just um, is excluded? And you, you, you know they're the real deal. How do you bring them in? Is, is there somebody in the church that you can see God is using in a new way? How do you advance that? God in his spirit will guide you, but you listen to him and follow him. Let's pray. So, Lord, um, we need to be Barneys. I need to be. Uh, there are those that we will meet in the next hours or days, you you know, God, where our lives will intercept. You know how Barnabas and Saul's lives would intercept. Would you help us just to be faithful in the calling that you've given to us? Uh, while it's today, while it's still today, to be encouragers for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.